This is the Closers Only Podcast, the show that helps you unleash your inner sales beast. Here's your host, co-founder of Instruct, Chaba Balog. Welcome everyone on today's episode of Closers Only. Our special guest today is Stuart Taylor from Refract, Head of Sales Development. Hi, Stuart. Hi, everyone. Thank you very much for being on this episode today. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to talk to you about sales development. Actually, Stuart reached out to me in a very friendly manner on LinkedIn. Hey, let's get to know a little bit more about each other. And yeah, I was open. So now we are, we are <laughs> talking on this podcast. Obviously, I heard a lot about Refract and uh, you guys also read a lot about Richard Smith, I guess. He's posting a lot on LinkedIn. So you guys are, are more and more on social media. And that's why I wanted to invite you, Stuart, to, to share a little bit more of your wisdom and knowledge on sales development. So before we actually jump into today's topic, can you introduce yourself and talk a little bit more about yourself and also Refract? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I'm head of sales development, as you kindly said, at refract.ai, and we're a conversation intelligence platform. So we're helping leaders get insight into the conversations that their team are having. You know, we're a big believer in the fact that teams don't get the support and coaching that they need to excel in their roles in the sales profession. Um, and we're trying to change that with, with technology, helping managers coach and help improve their teams so, you know, they can close more deals and be successful in their role. Um, I've been in sales now um, 30 14 years um, ranging from software sales where I've been in for the last seven or eight now um, selling everything from Premier League football advertising <laughs> hospitality um, to secondhand cars um, and finance so I've had quite an eclectic start in my sales profession um, but I guess that gives me a good understanding of you know the world out there and how fortunate I think you know we are to work in software sales which is, is definitely where I found my feet and really enjoyed and, and my, my career has you know been fantastic as a result of that. Yeah, um, sure. I think a lot of people have interesting journeys to software sales, how they ended up in it. Um, it's very hard to break in for, for some people, especially without experience. But as long as you end up in it, then you just don't want to leave it for a lot of reasons, because it's innovative, because it's fast paced, because you know, of the high earning potential, because of many different things. So when you pretty much started out in, in software sales, you 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 started as an SDR or you already in sales leadership or account executive? Yeah, How did it go I, for you? Yeah, a, a little bit of growth. When I started, I was for a company called the Test Factory and it was a little bit of a hybrid role um, from an SDR and an AE. So I was mm-hmm. responsible for prospecting and closing my own deals. So I come into that position. Um, really enjoyed the prospecting side of things I always have and I had a natural talent for it. And then I quickly moved on to managing the SDR team at the Test Factory um, and really enjoying that role. Um, but always prospecting myself as a result. So it's kind of, again, a little bit of a player coach role, maybe at the first step in my career where I was still doing the SDR role, closing some of my own deals as well, but also looking after the, the, the team. I think it was five at the time of, of SDRs that we had at the test factory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. So, so you pretty much ended up like in, in management just because of being being good at the, the prospecting. Pretty much like most, I think. You know, I think that's probably true of most people. You know, I was pretty decent at sales, had quite a lot of experience, was one of the top performers in that particular role. And then it seemed like the natural progression for me to move into that management role and try to start, you know, leading the team. Um, and that's where my career went. And then from that, it's something I've really enjoyed. You know, the part which I think why I love working at Refract so much is we help sales leaders to help their team. And mm-hmm. 
personally, that's one of the biggest rewards I get. You know, in SDRs, we get some junior people coming straight out of education um, or they may have changed careers or they've never had a job in sales before. Um, and we take that person, you know, from a, a starting a starting point of, you know, very little knowledge or really appreciation of what the sales role is um, to becoming really skilled and, and professional in their role and hopefully having a really successful career in sales. And that is, is a big driver for me. I get a lot back from helping people excel in that role um, so that, you know, being in that management role now, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I really enjoy no, it's an extremely rewarding experience. Uh, I, I have to agree on this one with you because um, you see people without any experience, not necessarily a, a lot of knowledge in sales, but they're committed, they're ambitious, they have to drive, they want to do it, right? They, they are committed. And if you just push them a little, uh, you, you see them blossom and and there is nothing really like it. And, and that's why I, I love also what we are doing because yeah, we uh, also myself now. I'm I'm, I'm managing um, SDRs, and uh, we trained also many, which is a very different thing to just doing prospecting. So um, t- today, what we what what I wanted to discuss with you is a leading by example, demonstrating to your team of how to be a good SDR. You said yourself that you you excel at being an awesome SDR. Managing the team is a very different thing. And also I'm seeing this myself now that, yeah, I, I know that I'm, I'm good at my craft. I, I know I'm good at what I'm doing, but managing is a totally different game. So how, what are your tips and tricks to actually help enable the SDRs by managing them literally like manage them, but also demonstrating them that, hey guys, not just telling them you have to do this and that, but you pick up the phone and show them how to do those calls, how to write those emails, and they can come to you with any questions. Yeah, I think two points which which I, w- I would mention on that. Um, the first thing is leading from the front, um, and that's something you know I've always had great managers who've done that personally, and it, and and I've you know replicated that in my role as well. And mm-hmm. I challenge my SDRs. You know, we might have a power hour of cold calls. Yeah. That, you, that I lay down the challenge who can book more meetings than me in this hour and that's the competition and that really creates competition within the team because they all want to beat me for obvious reasons and they do you know, mm-hmm. personally for me there's nothing better than an SDR coming through and beating you although I'm really competitive and I want to win and I don't let them win mm-hmm. but there's also you know a real sense of pride when when an SDR that you trained up becomes more successful than you is better in the role than you were um, you know, because yeah, I was successful, but I, I certainly wasn't perfect. And some of the people I've been yeah. fortunate to work with are far better in their stages of the career where they're at now than what than what I was certainly. So it, it makes a massive difference for me. Um, that that is a big thing, though. I think you know, not asking your team to do things that you're not prepared to do yourself. Uh-huh. I'm a big believer in that. I know that's kind of a, a leadership philosophy, uh, but I, I totally buy into that. I would never ask my SDRs to do anything that I wouldn't do or that I demonstrated that I do on a regular basis. Uh, I still do ca- uh, cold calling with them. I still, you know, book my own opportunities. At Refract, I still close deals myself as well. But personally, for me, a, it's beneficial for the team. It's just showing them the way, but it also keeps me sharp. You know, it, 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 I learn things when I speak with people. You know, I've been doing this a long time, but I, I'm, I'm learning every day. And then I, I learn things that I can give back to the team. So being in the, in the front of things or at the call face, for lack of a better expression, I think is really important for a leader so you can keep a grasp on what's happening, but also demonstrate to your team, you know, that yeah. you can do what you're asking them to do as well. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, you said a lot of things there. So first, what I wanted to <laughs> <laughs> you what, first, what I wanted to touch on is uh, the power hour thing. So every day you have power hours with your team, right? Yeah. And you still jump on calls with your team, and you have a competition where you measure who books the most meetings. Yeah, and that might not necessarily always be the measure because sometimes I'm quite a big believer as well in, in part of cold calling especially is to try and detach yourself from the outcome. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So the actual outcome might not necessarily be the success metric. It might yep. just literally see who can connect to the most people, who can get the most no's. We've had power hours where the, <laughs> the aim is go for no, but it's hugely successful because when you are asking the questions, you end up getting yeses. Um, uh -huh. so hugely successful but that's quite a powerful thing to detach yourself from the outcome i think that's a big problem for salespeople. they pick up the phone thinking i've got to book this meeting i need to book this meeting they put massive amounts of pressure on themselves what you need to do is focus on what you can control mm -hmm. you can find a prospect you can pick up the phone you can practice your you know your opening to the call you can nail your elevator pitch that prospect might still tell you to get lost however you've done everything in your control and you're you know, practicing and getting better all the time. Mm -hmm. If you keep doing the right things, you'll get the results. That's why I think it is quite important to detach yourself from that outcome and, you know, control the things that you can control and make sure that you, you know, you're hitting those and the rest will almost take care, for take care of itself. And I think that's proven out. I say to the team, do X, Y, and Z and the results will come and, and they do. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting because on my very first sales job, um, what i was asked to do hey guys don't send out cold emails don't connect with people on linkedin just bang the phone pick up and dial and close so it was not like let's book a meeting to discuss what our next steps or you know <laughs> pick up the phone like you know in the old days of wolf of wall street pick up the phone and close and that puts massive pressure on reps and also I think it just kind of sabotages them to perform properly, say the right things, because in modern sales dynamics, it's just not the way it is. Like people don't make decisions like like this, you know, okay, I want this. Okay, let me think about it. Okay, let, let, let me take a look at your website. Um, okay, let's let's get you up over Zoom. Let's see each other's faces. You know, let's, let, let's talk, let's get to know each other a little and then make a decision. But they really expected us to do that. Uh, to just just to just call, close them out of the blue, and uh, man, I I, I suck big time. <laughs> I have to admit, I, I was terrible, and um, I didn't really understand why. And this is what you said: to detach yourself from the outcome. I think what it helps already when you are focusing on meetings, not on deals, right? But also, it can make you a little bit more paralyzed or more. Um, frustrated or or maybe anxious before your calls but if you really detach and you said to focus on the things like the no's this starting conversations nailing your elevator pitch i think that's a very good approach to just to just learn how to speak with prospects how to speak with individuals doing the same thing that you do or you you want them to do with your product yeah yeah i notice with sdr sometimes when you listen to calls and you know it's particularly in the tone and pace of the conversation up until they've booked the meeting, they'll sound different to when they've booked the meeting. They'll almost relax, you know, they'll yeah. big sigh of relief. And then after they've booked the meeting, they'll still continue to have a conversation with our prospect, but it's completely different. They mm -hmm. sound different, they sound more relaxed. You know, that 
that meeting is out the way. They've done the job. Now they can just be themselves and have a conversation with a prospect. And I think mm-hmm. it is trying to have that that attitude before you book the meeting. Um, and you know, it's not just prospecting; it goes throughout the sales process. You know, we're very big believers in trying to qualify people out. But the reason we do that is we know refract's not for everybody. But we're trying yeah. to find people that it is for. That's why asking the questions to find out if people have problems that we can solve is really important. And if they don't, then refract's not for them. You know, always be closing is is bullshit in my opinion because you can't <laughs> everybody. And if you do, yeah. then you do you, you know you're miss selling almost because not everybody has a problem that you can solve. We're mm-hmm. about the people that refract can really help. Um, mm-hmm. that mindset change is a big one, but it just like you say, it takes the pressure off. You go into a cold call thinking, I wonder if I can help this person. Rather yeah. than the meeting, let's see if they've got a problem that I can help with. Mm-hmm. You have that mindset when you pick up the co- the phone; it's completely different. It takes the pressure off. If they have, great. Let's try, let's have a conversation. If they haven't, well, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, yeah. Is that? Well, that mindset change makes a massive difference. You mentioned it. You know that fear of calling. It's the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Reps get crippled by that fear of cold calling. It's because they start to think of the what ifs. You know, what if they say this? What if they do that? Or look at their LinkedIn profile. Don't they look really powerful sales leader or whoever you're prospecting? And you start to think of what could happen on the call. But really, if we think about it, what's the worst that can happen on the phone call? On a cold yep. call? Somebody can be nasty to you. Well, you know, we have a saying at Refract where we move on. If yeah. Somebody, if somebody is nasty, somebody's an arsehole, somebody, you know, gives you some some stick or whatever, then we move on. We move on to the next one because we know our product really helps people and we've got yeah, yeah. that we get to speak to the next person so we can try and help them. Yeah, um, totally agree. Uh, what I actually wanted to add, but you already said that is I always tell people, I tell the SEO, tell my SEOs and tell the people we train, what is the worst thing that can happen to you? Like just try to picture. And I give them an example. What was the worst thing as an SDR for me? Like what was the, the, literally the worst possible thing? It was, I, it was not on a call. It was not on a call. It was on, <clears throat> on email. Uh, I used the templated email, big mistake from, from a big blog. I'm not going to name the blog, but it was a big sales blog. I, I used the templated email pretty much. I did no adjustments there. Set it down and answer came back with a Twitter link. So I was SDR ashamed. Uh, and even my company was tagged on this on this Twitter post, which is like, by the way, a major, major a-hole thing, right, to do. Uh, now, today, I would be able to handle it and just jump on the uh, jump on the post and like defend the company and maybe some some kind of passive aggressive way, but like still be professional. You know, I would I would defend the company, defend myself, and also thank for the time, you know, of uh, <laughs> of for whatever they did, but. Uh, that was really the worst thing and and it was painful back then it was really painful for me because i was inexperienced i i was just not a very good sdr back back then but i was over it yeah we we've had an instance before where there was a post that i had done on linkedin in my one of my sdrs done on linkedin that went viral um viral by our standards so we got a lot of traction um and it was about a sales leader who'd been we called call the sales leader and they really tried to belittle one of our SDRs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was just it was a really nasty malicious way of handling a phone call the SDR was really junior at the time you know cutting their teeth in the industry and, and speaking with a, a senior leader um, in sales and, and they were really it, it wasn't just you know it's not for me it, it was nasty and it was belittling how they, they treat the, the salesperson and I think you know can you give an example what, what, what he said or she said I'm, I'm struggling really to remember it I just remember it really you know annoying me at the time like I was I was angry by what I was hearing it was ah. just things like give me remarks about you know how he was asking questions and, and little things like that I, I can't give you exact examples because I can't remember off the top of my head um I'll 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 maybe share some after when I listen to it again <laughs> um, but what, what also I think as a lady you've got to do is have your teams back mm-hmm. that, that's what my point is there and I think you know I was angry I actually we even as a company my ceo reached out to that person i reached out to that person we put a we put a post on linkedin talking about it and we got the support of the community you know the sales community saying to the sdr you've done everything right you know it's just people some people you could be having a bad day you know it, not people are not necessarily always malicious or nasty that person could be having a bad day you don't know what's going on in their lives um, and you've got to just brush it off. You have got a little bit of thick skin, um, yep. but it does. It is really a massive bugbear of mine of why you know senior sales leaders can't give SDRs the time of day to hear them out um, and give them the opportunity. You know, I think they forget that they were there once. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think giving the SDRs the chance. I love listening to SDRs. Um, you know, this might be an invitation for SDRs to prospect me, but I love cold calls because. I like to challenge people sometimes. If I get somebody who's particularly good, I'll throw a couple of objections in just to see how good people respond. But mm-hmm. I also like to see what other people do. You know, and I can steal things from people or, you know, share ideas when people prospect me. So I, I, I've got no problems with being cold called, but it happens very, very rarely. Yeah. It's super rare. Yeah. Which is a shame. Um, but I think that's a good thing for people who do pick up the phone because yeah. it's an easy way to cut through the noise because most people aren't doing it. And if you mm-hmm. do SDR, you know, you can get ahead of the game because most people are just relying on, like you said earlier, those, you know, email automation tools and doing yeah. pre-email approach. Or um, templates mm-hmm. or LinkedIn, you know, and with so LinkedIn, I sent, sent out two, two emails and there we go, you know. And if don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not just saying cold calling is the only method. I'm a big yeah. multi-channel approach um, yeah. and LinkedIn, emails, texts, whatever it may be, all play a part in that, as does the phone. But increasingly often people forget that form part. And I think that is, you know, probably the, one of the most successful parts um, mm-hmm. of a successful sales cadence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to also discredit LinkedIn or, or email because I, I love LinkedIn. I've used it throughout my career and it can, it can really make a, a huge change, especially that when there was the big, slump i think in the economy uh, when when covid hit and there was a break, lockdown everywhere right people didn't really pick up the phone so you needed to diversify your approach you needed to find other avenues where you can succeed so i'm always for other for 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 new methods trying out things but just simply doing what other people are doing you're sabotaging yourself again you are you are not you're not doing it right. You are, and and the phone calls. I mean, yeah, I I like I, I don't even think that I received a cold call in the past nine months. Crazy, isn't it? Right, right. And and my my phone number is there. It's 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 public pretty much. So everyone does some research. They can find it. I get emails. I get a lot of LinkedIn messages, but cold calls, no, not really. The truth is as well. I, I look at my junk folder sometimes just to see if anything's missed out of there. You know, if anything has has, has uh-huh. been 
and the amount of emails that don't even get to my inbox because mm-hmm. they're just captured in the junk folder and I look at them and, I, and I, sometimes I have a look at them and it's just because they are that, that cadence of emails which has been automatically blasted off and I've been part of you know, a, a, an email blast for a thousand people. I ask the team, the SDRs at work, to look at their email and when they've wrote an email to try and make sure that that email could not be part of a mass campaign. And what I mean by that is there should, there should be enough personalization where the recipient can be in no doubt that we've taken the time to craft an email for them. Yep. Not just an email we've sent to 5,000 or 10,000 people. It's yeah. personally for them. Yes, it takes longer, but you know, some people exaggerate how long it takes. A really well-personalized email can be done well under five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you do that, we, we've got massive response rates for that. Some of the emails we send where it's a really highly personalized email. And if anybody wants to you know, reach out to me after, I'd be happy to share some examples. Um, but we've got a, a response rate of about 80% to really highly personalized emails. That's worth five, 10 minutes of anybody's time for, you know, to yeah. get it with your ICP. Um, yeah. so from that point of view, it, it really works. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the two big things for me, that personalization. Yeah, yeah I think... What people might get wrong with with those highly personalized emails is that they think that they have to build each and every one of them from scratch, whereas they don't. There's still a framework that you need to follow, right? Like a template, if you will. And and then it's not just copy paste the first name, uh, company name, title, you know, but really like have a section that is really dedicated, have a paragraph that just is dedicated to the account, to to the to the person and to the prospect who you're selling this email to <clears throat> because that is going to set it apart from those automated emails that are sent to 5,000 individuals, which you said before. So uh, you don't have to build it from scratch, right? You just need to invest five minutes of your time to find the right context, I think, to, to, to build your personalization on and then another five to 10 minutes to write it. So, and, and, and I'm talking about 15 minutes now for, for one email. Which is which might seem to be long, but if response rates are higher, then I guess it's worth it's really worth the time. Hundred percent, hundred percent, and it also gets you off on, on the right foot. You know, we're in quite a fortunate position, but we're also um, open to a lot of a lot of feedback because we sell to sales leaders. Mm-hmm. So we're in a position where you know they expect us to be the top of our game because we're selling a yeah. course platform and a conversation. Yeah platform to sales leaders yeah. so from our point of view it's fantastic because we get to work with some brilliant sales leaders and we learn from them we get, we analyze thousands and thousands of conversations so we get to learn from them as well but if we put one foot wrong they let us know about it um so the mistakes are almost amplified if we do make a mistake you know everybody makes mistakes I, i've yeah. sent i'm sure everybody listening sent an email where you've got the person's name wrong um, or something like that. But even then, that's not the end of the relationship. If you send an email to somebody, and I've done this numerous times, you've got their name wrong or something wrong in the email, and they might email you back saying, who's John? Um, pick up the phone, have a conversation with them, and just be honest and frank. You know, everybody's human. Just say, look, really sorry, I messed up. Yeah. I wrong, et cetera. And, you know, yeah. it's surprising how that can be a conversation starter for you. I'm mm-hmm. not advocating that people start sending emails with the wrong name. <laughs> However... <laughs> You know, all is not lost when that sometimes happens on that occasion. Um, it's still not, you know, the end of the world. You still can can make that into an opportunity. I've got examples where that's happened and they've actually become customers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I messed that up at the beginning of the relationship. Yeah. Yeah, but then you dare to pick up the phone and, and just call them and have a genuine conversation about it. 
I think that made a big change, a really, really big change. 100%. I think just picking up the phone and just saying, look, I'm really sorry. Appealing to their human nature, you know, we've all made mistakes. We've all done that, sent that email um, and just appealing to their human nature. And most people, you know, the majority, the vast majority of people are understanding. They're like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. What can I do for you? What did you want? And then yeah. you need to have a yeah. conversation. Yeah, we are humans, right? Everyone makes mistakes. I think the worst thing that you can do as an SDR in such situation is that the sales leader asks back, who is John? And then the SDR doesn't respond because, oh, I messed up, you know? And then, no, I, 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 I shouldn't do anything. Pretty much it's like a, you're paralyzed by fear because yeah, you need to be accountable. Like no matter in what position, it's not only for the SDR role, in any kind of role in the entire world, you need to be accountable for, for the job you're doing. And if you make a mistake, just, just admit it. Anyways, at the end of the day, what sales is about is having conversation with people and discover their pains, right? And then confirm next steps, always. That's that's what sales is about. It's not really about always be closing, right? It's just really talking to individuals and learning, learning, learning. And if you don't answer to a question, then I'm just going to think that, yeah, you sent out this LinkedIn automation or this email to thousands and then you're not even able to maintain a conversation with me because what I see, I ask a question back. Someone wanted to sell me some marketing automation uh, last week. And I, okay, how do you guys do this? No answer. Wow. No answer. Absolutely zero answer. Uh, how does this apply to me? I, I actually did that. I think on Friday, uh, they, they wanted to, uh, rep wanted to some kind of course related thing score certification i think it was they they wanted to sell some kind of service like that and and um you know what we focus on as a, as a training company is not necessarily course certifications but rather providing good training right i think it's much more important than being certified um because that's what companies care about not the paper but the real skills that we that we teach yeah. and there was a company reaching out that we can be certified and okay uh, how, how does this apply to me like uh, how, how can this help us? No question, no, no answer, no, no, no thought provoking um, statements, nothing. nothing. Somebody who's, you know, showed some buying intent, asked a question and initiated a conversation. Yeah. You greeted by crickets and no response is, is, is craziness. You know, it's, it's just, I, I don't understand it, especially when somebody's went to the problem, the, the, the challenge of emailing you in the first place. And you've replied to their email, which is an SDR music to your ears. You know, somebody's replied to my email. Great. Oh, let's just not bother replying because it's too difficult a question to answer. Yeah. We're, uh, I'm not sure what, what, what's behind there. You know, like either, oh, no, I realize that this company is not good for me. They are not ICP. But then why do you send the email in the first place? Or <clears throat> messed up something. You know, I don't know how to handle this. Um, or I don't know how to continue the conversation. I think these are the answers that are popping up in SDRs' minds. But as like this is like a shout out to SDRs or account executives or whoever or prospects. Just 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 go to your manager, go to more senior people, and, and just talk about it and ask. And it's okay to 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 mess up things because everyone does. If someone says that they don't, then obviously they are not not stating the truth, right? Everyone messes up things, <clears throat> and and myself included and i always hold myself accountable and i always say like i sorry okay i that was that was my fault but this is actually a very good strategy that you did there 
that you messed up a name and then you just picked up the phone and, and started a conversation because always was the hardest uh, on the phone is to the first minute, right? To get through, to earn the right for the next five minutes. And that was like a perfect context for you to just to just get that conversation started. Yeah, I've always thought, is it worth trying? But I just think it's a little bit disingenuous if we do an email campaign where we deliver. <laughs> Obviously, yes. Yeah, I've never done it, but there's definitely, there might be people out there have done it because you do get a high response rate when you get somebody's name wrong in the email. Um, for certain, yeah, we've never we've never run that as a campaign. Well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go on, go on. That point about failure you mentioned, I think, is an absolute critical one. You know, sometimes people are scared of failure and want to avoid failure. And, you know, you see people who are successful and just imagine that they've always been brilliant. They've always been successful and everything they've done has been a home run. Um, And the truth is the complete opposite. You know, the majority of successful people, probably the difference between them and average people is they've dared to fail more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They've, you know, they've had it, they've taken a chance, they've rolled the dice, they've failed, but the crucial bit is they've probably learned from their mistakes mm-hmm. and exactly. then to practice and become better. But, you know, every time, every mistake is an opportunity to learn and grow and then putting that into practice, they become better next time. Um, and, you know, the, the most successful people I know who I've worked with, as I mentioned, we work with some really successful sales leaders, they, they all embrace that failure because <laughs> it's incredible. If you're not failing, you're not trying. Yeah, you know, that's a sad state of existence, in my opinion. If you're not trying to do something, you're just you know existing rather than you know trying to improve and get better. Then you know what's the point? But that failure piece is a massive piece, and we are scared of failure. But really, I think you know we, we should embrace failure. And mm-hmm. that's why that power I was when I mentioned to you that going for no is really powerful because it changes that and almost you know celebrates failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been unsuccessful and got a no, but at least we picked up the phone and had a conversation. And for all of those no's, we'll get some yeses as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just a lot of thoughts popped up in my mind regarding accepting failure, going for failure. I think it comes from, mainly it comes from the education system that what has been ingrained in our minds that you need to get a good mark, you know, to, to pass this course, to pass this class, then to get admitted to a good high school, to get admitted to a new, good university, then to graduate well, right? And then you're out in the real world and that's not how it is. Actually, you need to make mistakes. You, you really have to make mistakes. Otherwise, you will never know. And you can read hundreds of thousands of books, but still you, you won't really understand everything about just a certain topic without, without actually making the mistakes yourself. And when you make those, those mistakes, you can, you can iterate on them in, in like in a good way. I mean, iterate them, do it well, you know, or do it better, do it better at least. And <clears throat> that, that, that made, I think a, a big difference for me. I was an absolute disaster in my first sales job really. And, and, and I wasn't particularly very successful in my second one either, but those experiences contributed to, to finally getting it. And I'm still, I would say, on, on, on the journey of getting it. And I'm never, I don't want to ever say that, though I'm a trainer, that, hey, I, I know I'm, I'm an expert and everything. Like, just, just really follow, follow my advice because this is how it is. I, I give my examples of failure a lot of times I tell them, tell to our students, tell to the SDRs, hey, I did this. And that was the problem with it. Like I can, 
always pretty much come up with a, if I say that, hey, don't do this, with something, a case study, an example from the past that that's why I don't think it's going to work. And if you didn't make those mistakes, it's going to be very tough to, to, to lead by example, to just put everything in the context as yours. Hey, why do you have to do things this way? Totally. And I think, you know, if you are trying to avoid mistakes, then you're not, you're trying to avoid the inevitable mm -hmm. possible, you know, as you mentioned, we're humans, we are flawed, we will make mistakes, you know, that's yeah. inevitable. As I mentioned to you earlier, part of Refract is we analyze thousands and thousands of sales conversations, demos, sales calls, cold calls, whatever they may be. And I'm yet to listen to one call where there isn't a mistake or missed opportunity or, or something that could be improved. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, massively successful salespeople you know, who, who have accounts in refract, but they can still improve. And the best salespeople don't think they're at the top of the mountain. They're always trying to get better. And mm -hmm. that's the key. You know, I think if you get to a position where you think, like you mentioned, you don't ever want to complete the journey, so to speak, you always want to be learning. And I think that's exactly the right attitude to have, because if you start to get to a position where you think, I'm an expert, I know everything there is to know, then, you, you know, you, you, you're fighting a losing battle because you, 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 you're certainly not. You know, I don't think anybody can master this game. There's always mm -hmm. learning sales and things are always changing. You've got to kind of have that student mm -hmm. where you kind of learn all the time. Yeah, 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 totally agree. Are you, are you a fan of sales books, by the way? Um, yes, yes and no. I guess the caveat I would give to sales books is I think a lot of people are guilty of reading hundreds of sales books, maybe yeah. hundreds. But tens of sales books. But where's the where's the action? Yeah. My challenge. I always say to people, what's the best sales? People ask me sometimes, what's the best sales book I can read? And I was like, one that you put into action. Mm -hmm. The majority of sales books are filled with you know great wisdom and and, and sound advice. Uh, and, and most I've read are good. And if you put them into practice, then you, you'll be more successful. But most people read them, put them in the bookshelf, and never look at them again. Mm -hmm. And that's or it's going to be registered somewhere there in subconscious, right? And then I think so, but I think even you know registered in that subconscious, I think you know the stats for training as an event or reading books, you know the knowledge retention after two weeks, eighty percent of what you've 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 learned is gone, and yeah. that just diminishes after as well, unless there's constant reinforcement or putting things into practice, which makes a behavioural change. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the missing piece with all sales books. You know they are great and filled with some 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 great words of wisdom. But salespeople, and this is not everybody, obviously, but I think what, what I find, the majority of people don't put things into practice. They don't put a plan after that book and say, right, I like X, Y, and Z. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. And I'm going to make that habitual. Hmm. I'm going to start doing that in my sales conversations or in my prospecting efforts. Yeah. That is when sales books become really valuable. But if you don't, it'll probably just be another book that you've written that hasn't really had that much of a, an impact on, on you personally or in your career. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually guilty of that. I was the one reading hundreds. Actually, I, I really was reading hundreds of, of books a year. And it really has changed. Like it went from hundreds pretty much to very, very limited, I think, because of limited time, because I consume maybe more content on LinkedIn. So even that changed, you know, how I learn things. But I was, okay, I read the book and then then what? I'm, I'm, I'm not really trying things though. If I can point out one book is always never split the difference. And that was foundational for me. So what I find about sales books that the usually the best ones are that are not sales books, in yeah. my opinion, like never split the difference or like influence. 
or there was an other one and man i cannot you read um the chimp paradox by no Bruce. actually i haven't that would be my recommendation that's um i think he's a clinical psychologist i might be i might be wrong there okay some of the leading sports stars mm -hmm. um, people like ronnie o'sullivan steven gerrard the ex-england national um, Chris Hoy, who was a really successful Olympic athlete, and um, he worked with <laughs> talking about the psychology of success and how to get your mind set up for success and how to kind of, he calls your brain the chimp, you know, the chimpanzee brain that you have and how you can manage that with rational thoughts. Sure. Um, but it's nothing to do with sales, but it's all about mindset. And I yep. think a massive part of being successful in sales, I think, oh, yeah, mindset than the rest, you know, the mm -hmm. rest you, you, know, you, you, you can get. Um, but that, I, I'd, I'd strongly recommend that to you. Um, All right. You're a fan of the likes of Chris Boss and, and, and Influence. Yeah, I'm a fan. Cialdini, who wrote Influence? Robert Cialdini. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a great book as well. That's yeah. more, more about persuasion, isn't it? But this is more about controlling your own mindset. Yeah. Chimp Paradox. I'll, I'll send you a link after this and check it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to check it out. Um, actually, this year, I, I read a book and I straight away what I did. I put it into practice. So... It was very different for me. I barely pick up books. And even if I start uh, a sales book, I'm, I'm talking about, if I pick up a sales book and um, usually I don't like them anymore. I don't know. My style has changed. It's not that I cannot learn anything from them, but it's just uh, I don't see them as, that I get as much value for the time I invest in them. Yeah. But I picked up a book, which was actually written by, by a marketing leader. And I read it and I'm like, hey, this is a really good idea. Let's let's use it for sales. And really, it really has been working very well for me. But straight away, before even finishing the, the, the piece of writing, I started implementing it and I started doing it. So that that's, I think, that would be my advice to everyone who is really much into sales books is to, if you read, which is okay, by the way, but then just read and start start implementing those things start applying these days i'm probably more of a fan of podcasts mm -hmm. than, than sales books in, in all honesty um, i find that sometimes sales books as well are all theoretical and there's not really any practical takeaways that you can get from them uh -huh. um, but that's often kind of a, a complaint i would have of some sales books but i'm a big fan of podcasts now you know if you if you're in the gym or you're going for a walk or you're doing the hoovering in the house or whatever it is you can just put your headphones in and listen to a podcast um and normally you get some really good sound bites from podcasts and there's some great yeah. ones you know about like your own and some other ones that i listen to and i think they are changing the game um and, and I, I certainly am moving away from books more to consuming content on podcasts, yeah. even audible. You know, I probably listen to more books now than what I actually read. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, it's just different. Yeah, awesome. Uh, Stuart, I think it's been a thrilling conversation. There was a, there were a lot of things we discussed on how to demonstrate uh, how to demonstrate leadership, how to demonstrate expertise to your SDR team to pretty much accepting failure and how to how to learn from books and, and different content. So I think this is a very good final thought that we just discussed this. Uh, so yeah, thank you very much for joining today. And yeah, it was it, it was awesome. And I'm very happy that you could join and be our guest on this episode. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. Thanks for your time. Uh, how can people reach you, Stuart, if they yeah, would like to reach out after? They can call, call me. Um, <laughs> Uh, you can reach me via email, which is stuart at refract.ai, or as you mentioned at the beginning, we're really prolific on LinkedIn as well. So you can find me at Stuart Taylor um, uh, on, on LinkedIn as well. 
um, you know, if anybody has any questions or queries, I think I mentioned a couple of things about the emails that we have um, with a really high success rate. If anybody wants some some copies to have a look at those, and I'm happy to share those as well. Drop me a line, I'll be happy to, to share those with the, with your listeners. Awesome. Thank you very much, Stuart. Pleasure. Thanks for your time. For more tips and tips on sales development, check out salesinstruct.com or reach out to us on LinkedIn. We're happy to connect. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.